Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast, no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. A quick time out to talk about the impact of the new college basketball rule changes. By the release of this episode, you've probably heard by now of the new changes coming for the 2019-2020 college basketball season. After hearing about the three-point line and how it was going to be moved back to the international line, the first name that came to my mind to ask about the potential impact of this rule, as well as the other notable rule changes, was ESPN's college basketball and FIBA expert Fran Fraschilla. Coach Fraschilla was kind enough to agree to come on the show, and in a quick timeout fashion, he dropped a ton of helpful information for coaches in only about 10 minutes. I hope you all enjoy the episode with Coach Fran Fraschilla. Coach, the big news this past week in college basketball was the decision to move back the three-point line to the international distance of 22 feet, one and three-quarter inches. For the college fan that's kind of a casual college fan, this may be a little bit surprising. I've kind of realized as I've gotten older that time kind of speeds up, but it's actually been 10 years since the first time the the line was moved back from that 19-9 distance. But moving it back to this new distance has actually been something that the NCAA has been experimenting with the last couple of years. Coach, were, were you at all surprised with the timing of this change? No, not not at all, Tony. Uh, th- this has been coming down the pike, I think, in recent years, in, in a, and for a number of reasons. Number one, I think that the uh, rules committee felt like the three-point line, as, a, as opposed to any shot attempts inside the arc, was getting a little bit out of whack and, uh, and losing the balance offensively. Uh, between scoring in the paint and scoring behind the arc. Obviously, it's a great weapon. So that's one reason. I think the other reason, too, is the FIBA line has been uh, thought of, I think, through the years uh, as a little bit more of a challenge. I think this is going to space the floor out a little bit more and actually help big guys inside because the line's going to be further back. And then the last thing I would tell you is shooting percentages will go down next year. There's no question about it until – teams and players and coaches figure out uh, what a good three-point attempt is. I would just remind you that a great shooting team like Villanova last year in 2018 that won the national title, um, I saw a study done that said that uh, over 70% of their made threes were actually behind the NBA line. So good shooting teams are going to adjust pretty easily, and teams that don't shoot it well are going to have to make decisions on what a better percentage shot is, maybe inside the arc. I think overall it's healthy for the game. In the press release, the committee uh, cited three reasons for the change. I'll talk about two of the others in just a few seconds here, but yeah. the one that I found most interesting was the second one that said, slowing the trend of the three-point shot becoming too prevalent in men's college basketball by making the shot a bit more challenging while at the same time keeping the shot an integral part of the game. The thing that I found interesting was the idea of slowing the trend, and this is what you kind of alluded to, but if you go back and look at the numbers from this last year's NIT tournament, the attempts per game were actually slightly up from the regular season, and then also the percentages that you again alluded to, they were only down by two percentage points. Do you think that there's going to be any slowing the trend because of the change? I do. I do. I think there will be. Um, I think the NIT is kind of... You know, that's kind of like icing on the cake for teams. Um, all, all those teams that played in the NIT were, in, you know, in the postseason. And the NIT, uh, <clears throat> while, it's, 
while it's it's great to be in postseason, it doesn't have the uh, all the relevance or the intensity, um, or or um, you know I don't know what the right word is, but I think teams that play in the NIT can kind of play loose and free. Mm-hmm, right. uh, they're happy to be continuing their, their seasons. Um, there's less at stake. No, no, with no disrespect at all to the champions of the NIT. This year was Texas. Um, so no, I, I, I do think that um, I, I don't know if the trend will slow down, but the percentage will slow down. I, I think it will drop, um, and then I think coaches will figure out and players, uh, you know, how to create a better opportunity to shoot the ball behind the arc. I, I just think this is a healthy adjustment to the game. Um, I don't think it's going to be an earth-shattering uh, rule change by any means, but um, I think it's got. Uh, I think the intended consequences are to get the get the shot uh, back in balance with shots inside the arc, and uh, potentially open up the floor for you know the big man in the game because there's going to be more uh, of an attempt to guard the three-point line a little further out. Theoretically, that should open up the lane a little bit. These next two questions, these last two questions, are kind of more of the coaching X's and O's strategy, but you've kind of talked a little bit about them. The The two reasons that I mentioned that I didn't talk about originally were making the lane more available for the dribble drive plays yep. on the, from the perimeter, assisting the offensive spacing by requiring the defense to cover more court. I think of teams like Syracuse and Baylor. You know, Syracuse, we immediately think the 2-3 zone. But Baylor, you're extremely familiar with, with their yep. style of play. They played close to, I looked at Synergy last night, close to 40% of their possessions or, or zone of some sort. And even teams that play the pack line, um, we run the pack line here. And a lot of times we know the pack line's really good when after the game a fan comes to us and says, Coach, your zone was really working tonight. So I'm, I'm thinking of teams like Virginia yeah. and Wisconsin and Liberty. Like, how effective are those zone defenses going to be if they're being spread out even more? Well, it's interesting. You make a great point. The year that I mentioned that Villanova won a national title and shot the ball, as we recall, from so, you know, so good uh, from behind the arc. They, they, they actually, I believe, also led the country in field goal percentage at the rim, hmm. uh, which speaks to your point that the better a shooting team uh, you have, the more likely the the rim is going to be open. Now, I'm I'm of the opinion uh, as someone who has you know tried to study the trends of the game that the three the, the zone defense actually or the packed in you know a man to man the pack line I think they uh, they actually provide better better coverage of the three point line hmm. than what the average fan would think. So um, yeah. You know, I yeah, I think that those teams uh, that are going to create that kind of challenge for the offense, uh, it's going to be the same no matter whether you're in zone or man. If you're not shooting effectively behind the arc, it's going to affect obviously your offense regardless of the defense. Mm-hmm. And um, and again, it I, I it behooves those teams who don't shoot the ball well from behind the arc to you know create opportunities to score in the paint. I always felt the best uh, way to attack a zone defense was from the paint out anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think it's true of the pack line, getting that defense swung side to side mm-hmm. and try to open up dribble penetration. Not always easy against elite defensive teams, but I think attacking the paint is actually going to open up scoring opportunities on the perimeter for teams that can shoot the three effectively, regardless, Tony, of where the three-point line is located. It just sounds like I'm going to have to teach a lot more help and rotation than I did in the years past. Well, and I think that's the beauty of this rule change is that it's going to create more of an issue for you know uh, both the offense and the defense 
And again, it's all about keeping the game in balance mm-hmm. between offense and defense, between scoring inside and out. And hopefully the rules committee uh, has done the right thing here. I happen to agree with them. Do you see a lot of zone defenses at the international level? Well, um, not as much, not as much, um, but certainly more so than the NBA because of the rules, uh, the, 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 rule, the rules in, in FIBA basketball about playing zone are just about the same as playing the zone in college. But uh, what I see at the highest level of FIBA basketball, the professional level, is those, those, those professional players really shoot the ball well from behind the arc, much like NBA players do. So the zone is not quite as effective as it is at lower levels, both overseas and here in the States, at, let's say, the college and high school levels. But we'll finish with this, and you've kind of gone into the next question here, but just observing FIBA basketball and what the game looks like with this kind of spacing and the three-point shooting, I'm going to kind of ask this a little bit selfishly uh, from my own coaching going forward, but from an X's and O's perspective, are there any adjustments that you would make as a college coach? So it could be the three-point line, the change with that. We didn't even mention you know, the 20-second shot clock reset off the offensive right. rebound, or it could be the last two minutes for a coach calling a, a timeout. Like what, what's going to impact or what do I need to pay attention to this next well, year? It's a very good question, and I would say, <clears throat> I would say the uh, reset of the uh, shot clock to 20, mm-hmm. I think particularly for an offensive coach, does, does he have an offense for the you know the offensive rebound mm-hmm. and reset. For example, are you going to let a big man who rebounds with two ball two two feet in the paint go right back up with it? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you going to uh, allow let's say your big guy rebounds with two feet outside the paint? What's your offense going to be? Is it the kick out quick dagger three maybe to the weak side? Is it going to be a kick out and run out ball screen? Uh, because it's becoming a low clock. Is it going to be the rebound and dribble out to a dribble handoff um, or all of the above? I think with that rule change, with the shot clock of an offensive rebound reset to 20, if I were a college coach, I would figure out a way to create an offense, almost a, uh, a speed game, to get back into the flow of the offense via the offensive rebound, whether it's the quick kick out three or kick it out and get into some kind of action like I mentioned, dribble handoff, ball screen, etc. I know Villanova emphasizes that, and Coach Wright works on that a lot. Are there any other teams that you've seen or observed that, that do something like that so that a coach could go watch later on? No, I, I honestly haven't because um, – you know, quite frankly, um, although this has been a FIBA rule in recent years and not most recently the NBA, college coaches haven't had to worry about the shot clock. Um, you know, to me, and we've said this for 40 years now, and I hear it on TV from analysts all the time, well, the best way to get an open three is off an offensive rebound. <laughs> I not only agree with that, I, I think that any time you can attack a defense in a scramble mode, uh, you want to do that. And now with the low clock, and not having the luxury of kicking it out to midcourt and resetting it as easily, I would make sure that I had an offense for the offensive rebound. And I mentioned already, you know, a few potential, uh, you know, scoring plays with which to, uh, you know, uh, take a hard look at, you know, during the off season. A lot of changes for this upcoming year. Potentially adjusting scoring a lot this coming year. 
So it'll be correct. It'll yep, interesting I, to see. I think the rule. I think the rules will be. Uh, we're all hoping that the rule changes will be for the benefit of the game, and uh, more often than not, they are, Tony. Definitely. Thank you so much for taking the time for us, Coach. Ha- ha- happy to do it. Big thanks to Coach Frashilla for joining us on today's show. If you haven't already, be sure to hit that subscribe button to never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out. <laughs>